The rest of us will take our Bibles, please, turn to Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12, we're plugging away to try to finish up our theme for the year, Speak Jesus. And if we're going to speak Jesus and profess him with our mouth and with our lives, we need to know more about him. And so we've been studying through the book of Mark and sometimes taking a selection from Matthew or Luke and the Synoptic Gospels. And we're in Mark chapter 12 this morning as we look at another instance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 12. And the title of the message this morning is Lessons from a Widow. Lessons from a Widow. The Lord Jesus Christ has a lot to say about what takes place in this passage. And so we're going to look at there uh, this for a few minutes this morning, Mark chapter 12. And uh, I want to congratulate uh, Richard and Mark Engel, 53 years of marriage on Tuesday. So congratulations to you folks and Bob and Donna Simmons this Saturday, 56 years of marriage. And so praise the Lord for that. And uh, I don't know if uh, everybody says Donna needs a medal. But Bob says she's got me. And so maybe that's it. I don't know. But congratulations. And we appreciate so much an example of a long marriage. We don't see that much anymore, do we? And so we praise the Lord for them today. Good to have our son Austin in. Austin travels the world representing West Coast Baptist College, and he happened to be in Pittsburgh yesterday, and he was supposed to go to Michigan for tonight, and so somehow he detoured through Canada on the way, and at 2.30 in the morning, our dog started barking, and there was a stranger at the door, and so uh, we let him in, and so he's here just for the morning service, and then this afternoon, he heads over to Michigan, and uh, he'll be actually at the First Baptist Church in Bridgeport, Michigan. They have their conference this week, uh, Church Triumphant Conference, and uh, they'll be there, uh, he'll be there for the next few days uh, with his pastor, Pastor Chapel, and representing West Coast Baptist College. And so be in prayer for him as he travels. Good to have Pastor Stone with us this morning. Uh, just home for a Sunday, had a Sunday off. That's rare, but we're glad to see him and came down to see his dad. So why don't you stand this morning, why don't you lead us in word of prayer for our, uh, uh, for our message this morning, if you would. Amen. Mark chapter 12, look down in verse 38. And so as I was finishing up and I had printed out my message and I was getting my Bible out and I just going over my notes, you know, for the last time, Pastor Stone walked in my office and where he goes, there's chaos. And so I'm, I'm going to try to, I, I really need the Lord's help to keep my mind on things because uh, things got all stirred up. Not only that, when, when he walks in the room, it inspires about a hundred new messages and lots of things I could have preached on this morning, but we'll try to stick to the text. Mark chapter 12, look at verse 38. Verse 38, and he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes which love to go long in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive the greater damnation." And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and behold, how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. 
Let's have a word of prayer again. Father, I need your help desperately, and I pray that the Spirit of God would fill me and help me, Lord, today, and that the same Spirit would speak to each heart and teach us the truths of the Scripture today. And Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we come to Mark chapter 12, we've actually read three groups of religious people in this passage of Scripture. At the beginning of the passage, we read that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees were gathered together and they were covenanting together, how can we trip up Jesus? How can we tempt him? And they decided they would attack him in his own doctrine. And so at the beginning of the chapter, if we were to go back there, and it's a few weeks ago in our preaching series, we, we know that the Pharisees began to ask Jesus about paying taxes. Should we render taxes unto Caesar? And you'll remember that Jesus took out a coin and he held it up and he says, whose picture is inscribed on the coin? And they said, Caesar. And he simply said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God's. Boy, the Lord always made things so simple, didn't he? But the simple things it says in 1 Corinthians shall confound the wise. The Pharisees didn't like it and the Sadducees came along and they realized, the Bible very plainly says that when the Pharisees were undone, that the Sadducees took their turn. And the Sadducees questioned Jesus about the resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection. When they found that the Pharisees could not trip up Jesus, that perhaps they could trip him up regarding the resurrection. They shared a story with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it seems like it was more than just a parable or a a story, but it might have had some real facts behind it because they knew a man who died. And the Bible says he left his widow and his brother married this widow to raise up seed, and so on it happened for seven brothers that would all marry this same widow, all of them dying and none of them raising up seed. And the question, of course, was whose wife would she be in the resurrection? They were trying to trip him up and say, the, the idea of a resurrection is so foolish because you can't take it to a logical end. And Jesus said, you know not the scriptures. You err. For in the resurrection, we are like the angels in heaven. There's neither marriage nor giving in marriage. And, and basically, he was saying, you're just, your job is to focus upon worshiping God, praising him. I feel like in church this morning, I had a touch of heaven. Can I tell you this? If you're on your way to heaven, you ain't seen nothing yet. Incredible what we've heard this morning and how my heart has been stirred and moved. But one day we'll stand in heaven and we won't be worried about relationships and all. The only relationship we'll care about is the one with the Lord Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we will praise him for eternity. Well, then now the scribes had to have their chance. The Sadducees failed, and the Bible says, as we look in verse 38, and he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes, and and he's warning them because the scribes then came to him in verse 32. And the scribes said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And you'll remember the question that the scribes brought to him, which is the great commandment? The Pharisees had their shot, the Sadducees, and now the scribes would take their turn. They said, which is the great commandment? And Lord Jesus Christ, of course, answered, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. And the second commandment is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Upon all of this hang the law and the prophets. We remember from last Sunday, we talked about the scribes' question, how they tried to trip up Jesus, and Jesus again just so simply gave them a a Bible answer. Well, now as we move on to his disciples' He begins to warn them about the scribes. 
They say, well, what about the Pharisees and what about the Sadducees? Understand this, Jesus had spent a lot of time already warming about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But now, he was going to warn about the scribes. In verse 38, we pick up the story and it says, And he said to them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salvations in the mar- salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogue and the uppermost room at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. I want to look at this passage this morning as I have entitled Lessons from a Widow from four different directions. Number one, I want you to notice the instruction we receive. The instruction is simply this, beware. Beware. The Bible word beware, sometimes we will, we will see a hole in the road and we'll put a sign up and says beware or caution. We are alerting somebody to danger and I believe that's what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing. But the word beware here means to perceive and understand. In other words, if they were to look at the scribes through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, most people could see for themselves, saved people would know the difference, and they could see for themselves that there's a problem with their doctrine, and they're always uh, uh, devouring widows' houses and making long pretense in the prayers, and some of the things that were happening in their ministry was unchristlike and unbiblical. So the Lord simply says, beware. And he begins to warn them about the ministry of the Sadducees. And I think we can draw some things from that this morning. I want you to notice, as Jesus is looking at the bigger picture and warning about how the scribes do ministry, notice the first thing as we figure talk about this instruction he gives. Number one, they lack humility. They lack humility. We need to be real careful that we understand that this morning. We just sang a a, a great hymn. I love that song. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, Paul would tell the Philippian church. And we we sing that song with great gusto and we understand that we are nothing without Christ and, and through Christ we can do all things. And The Lord Jesus Christ even told his disciples when they saw all the miracles, even greater than these shall ye do. He had a passion to impart his power to people that they might carry out the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and witnessing to the lost and seeing souls saved. And On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says when the Holy Ghost was come, it empowered that church to go out and reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boy, we need the touch of God today. But the Bible says God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Notice what he says about these Sadducees today. He says in verse 38, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues in the uppermost room at feasts. They crave attention. They lack humility, and their lack of humility causes them to crave attention. And the Bible says that they wear the long clothing, and it's talking about the the garb of a scribe or one that would work in the temple. They want everybody to know where they're from and who they are, and it gives them a status symbol. They, for pretense, they make long prayers. They want everybody to look at them. I was just watching some of the baseball in the last day or so, and, and you know, the baseball playoffs, you know, and uh, we have perfect peace in our house right now because Texas is playing Texas. 
So one team from Texas is going to the World Series, so there's no problem there. There's no conflict. Either Houston or the Texas Rangers are going to the World Series. And I was just catching up. I, I don't watch, I don't sit down to watch a game, but I'll watch a little bit of a condensed game, it's called. It's about a 12-minute clip, and it'll give you just one batter right after the other and just show you the game. And, and I haven't watched a lot of ball this year, but I've been watching the playoffs. But there was a little clip, Alex Rodriguez. How many of you have heard that name? Alex Rodriguez was one of the most prolific baseball players of all time. He could hit home runs. By the time he was 18 years old, he was playing for the Seattle Mariners and hitting 30 and 40 home runs a year. At 18 years old, playing against grown men that are throwing balls at 100 miles an hour. He was one of the greatest players to ever play in both Seattle Mariners. He played for the Texas Rangers and he played for the New York Yankees. And he was talking. And he was saying, you know, I would like to be remembered in Monument Field. Monument Park, I believe it's called. And out at the end of Yankee Stadium, they have a fence there where you can hit home runs over, but just on the other side of that fence, they have Monument Park, it's called. And they have a statue of some of the great players that played, Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio, and players that that played for the Yankees over the years and made an impact on the team. But he is literally asking... It would be nice to be remembered for what I did. It'd be nice to have a statue in Monument Park. And all I could think of, what pride. No humility whatsoever. When honor is bestowed upon a man, it is bestowed by others, not upon ourselves. But that's not the the case with the scribes. The scribes lacked humility and they craved the attention in verse 39 and their dress and they liked the salutations in the marketplace and they liked, the Bible says, for pretense making long prayers. They want to be noticed, but not only do they crave attention, they covet applause. Notice what it says in verse 39, and the chief seats in the synagogues in the uppermost rooms at the feast, when they come to a feast, they say, we want this table and we want to sit at this end. We want to be honored for who we are. We want the the chief room. We want to sit down here with the peasants. We want to be honored for who we are. You know, one of the biggest problems in ministry, whether it's in pastoral ministry or whether it's right here in the pew, our biggest obstacle to serving others is our pride. It's our pride. I want you to think for a moment the kind of people Jesus ministered to. I'm not going to list them. You just think about it. The kind of people that Jesus reached down and touched. The kind of people that he embraced and loved. So we see that as he gives instruction about ministry, they they lacked humility, but they also lacked humanity. Notice what it says in verse 40, which devour widows' houses. That means to appropriate. They didn't just go in and destroy the place or take advantage of. It means they literally took it all. The widows who could not pay a temple tax, the widows who were held hostage by their their creeds and their own man-made doctrines, they would just take everything they had and keep them impoverished. They lacked humanity. humanity. The source of their hatred, though, is a lack of humility. That's where it all starts. They felt entitled. And that feelings of entitlement springs from their elevated self-worth and thinking that they are something special due to their title. They were supposed to serve, rather they sought to, impre- uh, to oppress and control others. We ought to be real careful that our pride does not get the best of us. I, I see time and time again these televangelists 
driving the million dollar or having a million dollar home and driving a hundred thousand dollar car. Making merchandise of men, the Bible calls it, with their cheap religion. Offering a healing for money. Selling the very gift of God. Beware. They are the modern day Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. And ministry is to be humble. If you're a Sunday school teacher today, I don't care if you're the best Sunday school teacher that ever lived, be humble. Don't ever be too big. So I I don't want to address children. my, My gifts are more suited for adults. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. What a privilege to have children. Listen, if we don't minister to them, we won't have them for long. I believe God will only give us what he can trust us with. So we see the instruction he gives, but then he goes on to illustrate. Look at verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and behold how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much, and there came a certain poor widow. By the way, this is not a a parable or a story that Jesus is telling. He is taking a real-life situation that's unfolding before his eyes to illustrate his point about humility. And he says, a certain widow came and she threw in two mites which make a farthing and he called unto his disciples and saith unto them, verily I say unto you this, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which are cast into the tre- have cast into the treasury for all they did cast in of their abundance but she of her want did cast in all that she had even all her living. Notice the illustration that the Lord Jesus Christ makes. I I want you to notice back in verse 41, Jesus sat over against the treasure and beheld, what's that next word? Nobody reading with me? Come on. How? How? It didn't say he was beholding that they were throwing money in the treasury. He wasn't just making observation that they were giving an offering. He was watching how they were doing it. Well, that one word has a lot of conviction in it for me. Every time I give a gift to the Lord, the Lord wants to know how I'm doing it. He's examining my heart. He's examining my motives. And he could look right into the heart of this widow lady and see not only did she give, but she gave all that she had. I'm not here this morning to preach on giving an offering or to try to fill the coffers of the church. I'm just here to say this morning that any gift that we have that we give to the Lord, we ought to give it with all our heart, soul, and mind just as we love the Lord. We ought to give it with the right heart's motive. So we see, first of all, in this illustration, a contrast. In verse 41, he talks about those rich people that come and threw into the treasury. And by the way, he's not condemning them. He's not commenting that they're doing something wrong. As a matter of fact, they were to give. Everybody was to give. And he wasn't upset about them giving, but notice the contrast. The rich gave all, but gave, gave a lot of money, and they put a lot in the treasury. But this widow with the two mites who just had all that she had dropped it in that offering box. It's just simply an observation of the difference. Where was her heart? But then we see a, condom, a commendation. Not only do we see a contrast, we see a commendation in verse 43 he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. She was praised for her sacrifice. She was praised for her sacrifice. Let me ask you this. Maybe this is something you don't want to think about. But what would you like your tombstone to say? Do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if there were a tombstone, there, there's not. I've been there. There's an empty tomb, by the way. (laughs) 
Isn't that good? There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. There's no headstone. There's a little sign on the door that says, He is not here, for he is risen. I like that one. But if they laid a headstone on that tomb, do you know what they might have said? The Son of Man. He came to serve. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's no wonder that the Lord Jesus Christ is impressed with the servant's heart of this lady, her humility. And so he praised her for her sacrifice and he praised her for sincerity. The Bible says she gave all she had. There was a transparency about her ministry that she was all in. All in. Let me ask you, are you all in today for Christ? We talk about that sometimes, don't we? Well, I just, I just, I mean, I, I get fired up at a preaching service. I go to a revival meeting and something happens in my heart and I go down to that altar and the altars pack out and I get excited about what's going on and, and I, just, I just commit to the Lord, I'm going to be all in. But how quickly do we fall back into those habits that keep us from church? How are we prioritizing our lives to say, Christ, you're number one? This woman was all in. Jesus says she gave all she had. You know, I'm reminded of the story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember them? They came to the disciples. They sold a parcel of land and they kept back a portion of the price, which, by the way, was completely their right to do. Nobody had asked them to give, go sell land and give all the money to the church. But they kept back a price and then they went and said, we are giving all. Every penny we made, we're giving. They conspired together, and the Holy Ghost slew them right before the disciples in the early church because they lied. He says, when, it, when you had it, wasn't, wasn't it in your control? You could have done whatever you wanted. You didn't have to give it all because you say you're giving it all. I thought, boy, what a commitment to the Lord when I say, Lord, I want to be all in. I want to give my life I want to give everything to you. I was, just, I was just thinking, I looked over and I saw Pastor Stone, I was just thinking about your father-in-law, Brother Roy Thompson. I remember at a help program one year, him taking, a, taking an offering, and he says, you know, when God saved me, he saved my pocketbook too. Sometimes that's the easiest thing we can do, isn't it? He praised her for her sincerity. Ananias and Sapphira misrepresented him, we'll give all, but they didn't. How many times have you said, I'll give all? I'm willing to go. Do you know what usually derails all that? It's our pride again. But if we just humbly seek the Lord, you'd be amazed what he can do with your life if you just surrender to him. Amen. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. We've heard about Christ's instruction and we've seen his illustration. Let me give you some insight. We read this passage of scripture, I believe it gives us some insight about motives. How important are our motives? I'm not saying the rich men did anything wrong by giving great offerings, but it was the widow with the two mites that the Lord noticed her heart. That her heart was pure and that she would give. And if we look back to the first part of the passage that we read, verse 38 and on, we see that the scribes chose showiness while the widow chose sincerity. It was the scribes that like the upper rooms at feasts, and it was the scribes who wanted the best seat, and it was the scribes who liked to be heard praying. 
It was the scribes that liked to be showy, but it was the widow that was quiet and humble and sincere. Let me ask you, which one did Jesus notice? Of the ones, he said, beware. Of the other, he praised. And so we see the insight about our motives. Listen to Matthew chapter 6 with me this morning. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you that they have the reward, but when they, thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, that thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly." He talks about these scribes again and these Sadducees and the Pharisees, these hypocrites who blow a trumpet to let everybody know they're bringing their offerings. They wear the long robes to let everybody know what their status is. Jesus said, don't be like that. Instead, be like this little widow that was humble in the sight of God. We see some insights about motives, but we also see some insight about ministry. The scribes chose to use ministry to devour others. The widow chose to sacrifice for the cause of others. That's what the Bible says. These prideful Sadducees would go and devour these widows, and this same widow that was impoverished by these men chose to give what little she had left in an act of sacrifice to be able to serve others. Mark chapter 10 puts it this way. For even the Son of Man, there's that phrase, the servant came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. You know, that's really the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? Jesus didn't come that we might minister to him. He came to minister to us. And gave his life a ransom for many. Listen, friend, let me just take a moment and tell you about Jesus. Jesus can preach this word because he is the humble son of man. He did not come to see what he could take from us. He did not come to devour widows' houses. There was no prophet in the one that already owned the cattle on a thousand hills to step down from glory and come to this earth. But the Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came because he loved us. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm here to tell you today as we watch the wars raging in the Mideast, we see millions of people that are willing to die for their God. Friends, let me tell you this. We had a God who was willing to die for us. Amen. Paid the price of Calvary. Amen. Shed his blood for my worthless soul. You say, why would he have to die for me? Why would he have to ransom me? Because I was lost. I had sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it says in Romans 3.23. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of that very sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Listen, through Jesus Christ. You can have the gift, but you have to come through Jesus there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And you can trust Jesus Christ today and be saved. He was the humble son of man. 
Aren't you glad today he didn't come like a scribe or a Pharisee or a Sadducee? Lording over us with a whole bunch of rules that we could not keep. Just to prove once again we are sinners and failures before God. But instead he came in grace and mercy. Giving his own blood to pay the price for those sins that we had committed. Friends, you can be born again today if you just put your faith and trust in him. We'd love to help you. We'd love to take some time and show you what it says in the scriptures this morning about having eternal life through Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example. Why can Jesus preach this passage? Because he is the humble son of man. And he conducted his ministry in such a way. So I want to give you one more thing. We see insight, but we also see the implication of this. It seems more than an implication that Christ is pleased with humble servants who seek not fame or fortune in the expense of others, but simply work to see God's kingdom come to fruition and glory. But the greatest example of this humility, of course, is Jesus. Let me give you three implications of the scripture and we'll be done. It's implied in his title, the Son of Man. Of all the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know which one is used the most in the Bible? The Son of Man. Over 80 times in the New Testament, we see the phrase, the book of Matthew alone has over 30. The Son of Man. Not only... Is it the favorite title to be applied to Jesus? It is the title that Jesus used himself, about himself. That wasn't arrogant or prideful. What he was saying is, I'm here to serve. I I wanna serve you. I've come to to save you. I've come to die for you. I've come, I'm the son of man. And, And not only does it talk about his servanthood, it identifies him with our humanity. He's the son of man. He is of the throne of David. And so we see in his title how, how, how it speaks of his humility, but we also see it in his treatment of others. In his treatment of others. Think about what Jesus did while he was here on earth. He washed feet. Can you imagine? How many of you would say, I, I, don't raise your hand because it's kind of prideful to answer it that way, but how many of you would say, I, I think I'm a servant. Come wash my feet right now. How many are we willing to do that? I mean, that's a Mideastern custom, obviously. I get that. But are we willing to stoop to that level? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think Peter's feet smelt all that good. They walked some dusty roads, and they wore leather shoes, sandals. And yet Jesus humbled himself and washed all of the disciples' feet. We see that he touched lepers. Nobody else wanted to do that. Nobody else cared like that. He cared for the poor, the needy, and the outcast in his treatment of others. We see his humility. Let me just share a little story with you. Years ago, we were up at uh, Wingham, the Baptist Church in Wingham. I can't even remember the name of it anymore. It's Wingham Baptist. Well, I should have remembered that. I was, I, was, I was up at William Baptist, and, and I was just going up to see some friends, and some of us went up, and, and uh, Stuart Foy was being ordained. And so we went up to see Stuart, and, and uh, I was just about 18 years old, I guess. Stuart was about 20, or well, maybe, he was, maybe he was a little bit older. I don't know. We went up, and we were, we were watching him, I guess, preaching and stuff. And, and uh, he shared how a little boy got on the church van, and he says, he's just covered in sores all down his neck from the lice in his hair. 
He smelt so bad and he was dirty. And he said, but wouldn't you know that that little boy wanted to climb up on my lap? And he says, so he says, if you see me scratching tonight, I caught his lice. He was trying to preach and he's doing this. <laughs> he's just, he says, and he, he says, I, I, he said, he's just, I, I caught that lice and I'm, I got some. So he says, and he talked about it a little bit more and he says, he says, but you know what happened? That eight-year-old little boy accepted Christ today. And he says, I was ashamed because he climbed up on my lap and I'm thinking, oh man, and I'm trying to, maybe, maybe you want to sit over here, little guy. Maybe you want to, and he says, I saw the, the sores and I saw the lice and I could smell. And he says, I just, he says, I was so ashamed. But when he says, come up to me after, he says, Mr. Foy, I got saved today. He says, it was worth it all. But isn't that what Christ did for us? Hey, we, we, we think we look pretty good, but we got the stench of sin. Stuck in the filth and the mire and the muck of this world until Christ rescued you. We see his humility and his title and his treatment of others, but we also see it in his treatment by others. How was Christ abused? The Bible says he opened not his mouth. And he being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you're looking for an example of humility, look no further than Jesus Christ. Moses was the meekest man to walk the earth, the Bible says. He couldn't hold a candle to Jesus. Jesus was willing to give everything for you. Mark chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter 11, I'll close with this, says this. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. Father, we help, hope and pray today that you would help us, Lord, to exhibit that meekness in our ministry. Everyone in this room that knows Christ as Savior has some sort of ministry. There's some folks here that maybe are struggling with their health and different things, and they say, what ministry is mine? And yet they can pray. The greatest thing we can do is to come boldly to the throne of grace and talk to our Savior. Pray for the souls of men, and I pray, Lord, that they would never discount that important ministry, but may we do it humbly. May we come before God beating our breasts. Father, there's some here that are working in buses and teaching in Sunday school and others that are just being faithful witness to their neighbors and their co-workers. And whatever that ministry might be, Lord, may we do it with the Spirit of Christ, without pride, filled with humility, Lord, that Christ might be able to use us because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Oh God, speak to our hearts, we pray. Lord, if there be one here today that knows not Jesus as their Savior, may they come to the most humble man who ever lived and gave his life for us. Speak to us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I know there's some folks here that have never been to our church before. We call this 
an invitation time. We're not here to put any undue pressure on you or anything like that. We just want to take a moment so that you can spend some time with the Lord and do business with God. So maybe you just want to pray where you are. Some like to come to the altar here. There's some here now and just bear their hearts before the Lord. But maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. He gave his life for you. Some may say, well, I, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I go to church and I'm a good person. If, if any of that would help you at all, let me ask you this. Why did Jesus have to die then? If you could work your way to heaven, if you could be good enough, we would never need somebody to die in our place. The wages of sin is not good works, and the wages of sin is, is, is not going to church, and the wages of sin is not being religious. The wages of sin is death. And you can't afford that. Separation from God eternally. But by his grace, he will save you today if you put your faith in him. And we'd like to help you with that. Is there one that say, Pastor, as far as I know, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. There's never been a time or a moment where I have repented of my sin and turned to Jesus Christ alone to save me. I'm not saying, Adam, to a collection of your gods or check another box on your list that says, well, now I go to church, now I go to Sunday school, now I do good works, and now I trust Jesus. No, it's Jesus alone. All those other things are good to do after you're saved because they help you grow and they teach you. But as you one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call you out, but would you slip up your hand? Is there one in this room, anywhere in this room? Would you pray for me, Pastor? Terry, just a moment longer. Some are still praying. If you need to be saved today, do not leave this place without knowing. You know, here's, here's the struggle. Sometimes that pride that gets in the way of our service and our ministries, that same pride gets in the way of people accepting Jesus because we think we're good enough without him. Don't you go to hell for anybody, not even yourself.